nothing compares to the promise we have in Him. Do you believe it? Great song. Who in here has seen the movie The Blind Side? Raise your hand if you've seen it. A lot of people. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Fairly new movie. Won a few awards. And uh, it's based on a true story about a young man from a broken home who ends up homeless in the streets who is taken in by a well-to-do family. Check out this clip from the movie. Up and at him. Sean Jr., you clean this room up before you come downstairs, you hear me? Okay, big smile. Chewy family. Let me get it, y'all. Everyone, thank your mother for driving to the store and getting this. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Mom. He's been enrolled in seven different institutions, including a gap of 18 months around the age of 10, when he apparently didn't attend school at all. I tell you, most kids with his background wouldn't come within 200 miles of this place. Class, this is Mike Orr, and he's new here, so I expect you all make him feel welcome. Hi. Smile at him. It lets them know you're their friend. I'm sure. Who is that, Esther? Big Mike. What is he wearing? It's below freezing. Do you have any place to stay tonight? Don't you dare lie to me. Was this a bad idea? What's the big deal? It's just for one night. It is just for one night, right? Find some time to figure out another bedroom for you. This is mine? Yes, sir. Never had one before. What, a room to yourself? A bed. It's all really nice what you're doing, but don't be surprised if one day you wake up and he gone. Michael was here. Last night. Tell him to sleep with one eye open. You threatened my son. You threaten me. Michael's grades have improved enough that he can go out for spring football in March. One, two, three, four. Steen is your family, Michael. When you look at him, you think of me, how you have my back. Are you going to protect your family, Michael? Yes, ma'am. SJ, you're going to want to get this. Who's the big guy eating with your little brother? It's his big brother. I think what you're doing is so great. Sandra Bullock. Hey, you're changing that boy's life. No. He's changing mine. The Blind Side. All right. You know, one of the great things about this movie for me personally is this, that the rescuing of this guy's life, the, the rescuing of this guy from, from a life on the streets, in, in and of itself it would have been great, right? But that's just the beginning of this incredible story. Not only is he taken in by a well-to-do family, he's taken in by a loving family who love and care for him and who treat him like he's one of their own. And not only that, but they also, they also provide him support and they give him support in school. They get him involved in football and they help him secure for himself a great future. It's just a wonderful story, isn't it? Here's my point. In a similar way, 
What makes salvation truly great for you and for me is that being forgiven of sin, being made right with God, in and of itself is a great thing, but it's just the beginning. It's not the end. It's the means to a new life filled with purpose and joy because of our restored relationship with God. And it's also the means to a glorious future. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 5 here this morning. And uh, we are in between sermon series this morning. We just finished our series through the book of Philippians. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to tackle the book of Ecclesiastes in a sermon series I've entitled Lessons Learned Under the Sun. So I hope you join us for that. But, but for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, taking a break from that series this morning. We're doing something random from Romans. And next week, we're going to be talking about uh, the Lord's Supper. So we're going to have, uh, I'm going to talk about what the Scripture teaches on how to think about the Lord's Supper, about communion. And then we're going to, in fact, have communion here. So I encourage you to, to uh, join us for that. But we're taking, uh, we're taking a little break. This Sunday and next, and then we'll be back into the book of Ecclesiastes. So I've given you enough time, I'm sure. You're at Romans, right? Romans 5. And since we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit, I need to give a little overview of the book of Romans. Now, now you probably know this already, but Romans is a pretty hefty book, isn't it? It's a hefty book. That's, that's an understatement. But if you were to summarize the book of Romans, it's, it's more than just this, but you could summarize Romans in this way. Romans is a long theological argument about how unrighteous people receive a right standing with God. That's just, it's more than that, but that's one of the main points of the book. It's how people who are at odds with God receive a right standing with Him. Okay, and in chapters 1 and 2, the first two and a half chapters, in fact, Paul starts the book by talking about the fact that we have all sinned against God. Every one of us, without exception, are guilty before God because of sin. In chapter 1, he talks about the blatantly sinful Gentiles. And then before the Jews could say, yeah, you tell them, Paul. In chapter 2, he points the finger on his own people, the Jewish people, and he says, you guys are in the same boat because you practice the same things. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, what Paul does is he basically just concludes... We're all sinful before God. Sin is universal. We have all sinned against Him. And we have offended Him with our actions. Romans 3.10 says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. But after giving this bad news about how we've all sinned against God and how we're unable to be made right with God through our own actions, Paul ends chapter 3 with some good news, doesn't he? He said, even though this, this is the case, salvation has been made available to you and to me apart from our works through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has made a way to God that we could not make for ourselves. And salvation his salvation that He provides is available to us by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. And that's how Paul ends chapter 3. 
But does he stop there? He's talked about how sinners are made right with God, but he goes on from there, right? Once again, being made right with God is just the beginning. It's not the end. So in chapter 5, where we're going to be this morning, what we're going to do is is look at the fact that that Paul is talking about it here. He's, He's going beyond being made right with God to discuss the benefits that come from a right standing with Him. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to look at what these benefits are and what they mean to us. Okay? So let's get started. The benefits of being right with God. Number one, believers have peace with God. The first benefit is that we have peace with God. Verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So basically, what, what Paul is saying here is this. Those who have seen their need of God, those who have seen their need of Christ and who have trusted in Him for their salvation, Paul is saying, you are no longer, once you do this, you are no longer enemies of God, but you are in fact at peace with God. Now, I truly think we often fail to appreciate this benefit the way that we should. And the reason why I feel that way is because I think we often fail to realize what has been prevented by us trusting in Christ for salvation. Let me, let me explain my point. Let me illustrate my point here. Edie, our youngest, just turned one last month. And she's walking now, and she's into everything. And you parents know or you remember what that's like, right? It wasn't long. It hadn't been long since Ava was there, and we've forgotten how exhausting it is to keep her out of everything. Because she is. She's into everything. And an added uh, problem that we have now is that Edie's got an older sister that she wants to mimic and do exactly what her older sister does. And if you know anything about Ava Grace, she is always climbing and jumping off of stuff. And I I mean, Leslie and I joke, we're always just about this close from, uh, from a trip to the emergency room all the time. I'm like, ooh, that could have been costly. And, uh, and the other day, Ava was doing something she wasn't supposed to. She was climbing up on the hearth from the fireplace and jumping off and falling into the floor. And uh, Edie was watching her. So Edie crawls over and, and pulls herself up and crawls onto the hearth to do the same thing. And I noticed that she was about to fall right on her head. So me, super dad... I sweep in and scoop her up real quick before she fell. And what do you think Edie did? Do you think she looked at me and said, with, she didn't say it, but look at me with this understanding of, man, thanks, Dad. That could have been really bad had I fallen on my head. No. She looks at me like she normally does, like, what? What's the big deal? And she was squirming to get out of my arms so she could get right back up onto the the hearth and do it again. She had no idea what had been prevented by me scooping her up and pulling her away from the fireplace. You know what? Oftentimes I think 
in a similar way, we as believers are just clueless about what has been prevented by us trusting in Christ for our salvation. Scriptures are clear on this. For those who are not trusting in Christ for their salvation, they are at odds with God. At one time, everyone in this room, before salvation, you were at one time at odds with God. Scripture says that we were enemies of God. And if we would have remained in this condition, the Scriptures are also clear that God's wrath would have been upon us. One of my favorite authors and theologians, R.C. Sproul, he puts it in this way. He said, we as believers are not only saved by God, which is what we often focus on, being saved by Him, but we're also saved for God in that we're saved to live for Him, but we're also, get this, we're saved from God. We are. We have been saved from God. It's important for us to remember what has been prevented by us trusting in Christ for salvation. God's wrath and His judgment has been turned away from us because of Christ. And I don't know how well you you, uh, realize this, but that's a great thing. It's a great thing. Another important thing for us to realize about this word peace is it's not referring to an emotion. It's referring to something that is true, something that is factual. Not feeling, but fact. Many people, they, feel, uh, they often feel this way. And, and oh, let me, let me give you a few verses first to, to prove my point here on, uh, that, that the Scripture clearly teaches that, that we're at odds with God. Romans 8, 7 through 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are, at, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In James 4.4, 4, you can just jot these down, these references. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There you go. Some scriptural references there that, that, that back that up. But that word peace does not refer to feeling but fact. There are times... In our lives, when we think as believers, I've just messed up beyond repair. You ever feel that way? Man, I just, I'm just caught in this, and it feels like I'm always just asking forgiveness for this, and I'm just struggling in this area of my life, and there are times when God feels distant from us. And we feel as if we are not at peace with Him important for us to realize that this word peace is not talking about that peaceful easy feeling that the eagles sing about it's not what Paul's getting at here he's not talking about just feeling at ease he's talking about something that is factual something that is objectively true it refers to what has taken place between us and God it is stable in fixed condition If you are trusting in Christ for your salvation, get this, whether you feel like it or not, you are at peace with God. 
That's a fact. You know, a lot of times we let our feelings get the best of us, don't we? We let our feelings determine the way that we think and, and how we live. We do. But as believers, what we need to do is we need to let the truth of God's Word determine the way that we feel and the way that we think and the way that we live. I'm the world's worst at letting my emotions get the best of me and jumping to conclusions on all kinds of things. I'll give you an example. A while back, before Edie was born, um, I got home. We were still in Fort Smith. I got home from work one night, and Leslie and Ava were gone. And that's kind of odd, because normally they're either at home, that's normally the case, or, or I know where they are, but I didn't know where they were. And it, it comes, turns out she did tell me. I just wasn't listening. And that's a problem of mine. So I have to admit that. Don't, don't look at Leslie and say, why didn't you tell them where? Of course she told me. But I didn't know, because I wasn't listening. And I'm sitting at home, and, I, and an hour passes, and I begin to get sort of worried about where they are. So I try to call them two or three times. Now, this is her fault. She left her phone in the car. But she didn't answer the phone. And an hour and a half goes by, two hours go by, and I begin to think that the worst has happened. And you know what's amazing? It took a phone call from her telling me everything's okay, she left the phone in the car, to turn my emotions around 180 degrees. It's amazing how that one truth changed the way I was feeling about everything. Listen, we need to let the Scriptures do that for us. We need to let the Word of God determine how we think and how we feel and how we live. If you're trusting in Christ for your salvation this morning, I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you. Maybe you're having doubts concerning your salvation or maybe you're having doubts. I, I don't know. But let that fact sink in. If you are trusting in Christ for your salvation, you are at peace with God. That's a fact from the Scriptures. So as believers, we need to praise God for what He's done for us, from what He's saved us from, and for the fact that we are now presently in right standing with Him. But there's something else. We also need to realize this, that those without Christ are without peace. We need to realize that. Like I said earlier, Scripture is clear that those without Christ are enemies of God. Now, here's the thing. Unbelievers don't often think of themselves in this way. They don't. And not every unbeliever is openly and adamantly hostile toward God. Some just kind of think this. Well, you know, yeah, I believe God's up there. I don't claim to know Him the way you know Him. But, you know, I don't have any problem with God. So the feelings must be mutual. I don't have any beef with him, so he must not have any beef with me. And a lot of people think in this way. But listen, Scripture clearly teaches that's not the case. There is no neutrality with God. Meaning we can't straddle the fence. We can't just be indifferent. You're either on board with God or you're not. Jesus said in Matthew 12, uh, verse 30, 
Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, am I saying that we need to go out in the streets with a big sign around our neck saying, enemies of God, repent or else? Unfortunately, some have done that. I think it's ridiculous. That's not the answer. Scripture teaches us we're to be sharing the truth in love, and there's not a lot of love behind that, is there? But listen, we don't need to be turning a blind eye either. We need to be mindful of the fact that those without Christ, even though they, they, they may not be openly and adamantly opposed to God, Scripture tells us that they are. And we need to go out and share the truth in love. So we're at peace with God. That's our first benefit here. Second benefit to being right with God is believers have access to God. Verse 2. Paul says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So Paul here is saying, because of our faith in Christ, because we have been made right with God, another one of the benefits is that we have access to God. Here's the truth of the matter. Before Christ's death, man and God were separated. I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't already know. Scripture tells us that the Jewish people were separated from the presence of God by a veil that hung in the temple. And the Gentiles, history tells us, all non-Jewish people were, were separated by a wall outside of the temple that said any non-Jewish person who enters in beyond this point will be put to death. Well, guess what? Christ's work on the cross changed all that, didn't it? As a result of his death on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn in two. Look at this verse here. Luke 23, 44 through 45. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And for the Gentiles, we're told that the walls of separation were torn down. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Today, no matter if you're Jew or Gentile, if you are trusting in Christ for your salvation, you have access to God. And something else we need to know about this access. We not only have access to God, we have permanent access to God. That phrase, in which we now stand, carries with it the idea of permanence. It's a present standing. It's a continual standing. We not only have access to God, we have permanent access to God. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds better, doesn't it? And get this. 
That access to God is not by what we do, but it's by God's grace. You and I are not only saved by God's grace, Scripture is clear, we are kept by God's grace. There are some people who don't believe this. There are many who believe and teach that we're saved by God's grace, but then, you know, we're more or less just kept by our own efforts. Some believe that, that, that we're kept by our own power, that, that, that my relationship with God is ultimately on me. It's on my shoulders. It's in my hands. And because they believe in this way, many say, because this is the case, salvation can be lost. There is no security. And though I disagree with that doctrine, of course I disagree with it, I do agree with the logic behind it. If salvation was ultimately on my shoulders, if it was ultimately in my hands, it would be lost in a hurry. But praise be to God that that's not the case. This this line of, of thinking is just not scriptural. To say that God has saved us by His grace and then kind of left us to fend for for ourselves, I truly believe is to do a mockery of the grace of God. To make a mockery of the grace of God. I I just, I I believe it's like saying that what God has begun in us, He is either unable or unwilling to complete it. What does Scripture teach? Remember in the book of Philippians? First, book, first chapter, verse 6, Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This access that we have to God is permanent. So if you're a believer in Christ, you have peace with God, and you also have access to God. This is one of the great benefits you should be thankful for and be be enjoying and taking advantage of is the fact that you now have permanent access to God. Think about this. You have an opportunity daily to meet with the God of the universe. Multiple times a day if you want to. You have an opportunity to go before God and converse with Him through Bible intake and prayer. We should be taking advantage of this wonderful benefit that we have. Permanent access to God. Third and final benefit is that we have the hope of glory. Believers have the hope of glory. Verses 2 through 5. Paul says, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. This is the third and and final benefit here of being made right with God. We as believers have the hope of glory. Now, Now, this benefit is a bit different from the previous two in that it has not yet been been experienced to the extent the other two have. Let me explain what I mean here. The other two benefits, the moment you trust in Christ, they, they become a reality. The moment you trust in Christ, you are at peace with God. You are declared right 
with God. And it's not based upon feeling, it's based upon what God has declared in His Word. And also, the moment you trust in Christ, you have access to God. You are brought to Him. The moment you trust in Him, the the wall of separation comes down. And you have access that's made available to you, to God, through Christ. But this third benefit has not yet been experienced in this way, the hope of glory. But listen, it's so important. It's a benefit nonetheless. This third benefit refers to the time that awaits. The time that is coming when the work being done in us as believers will be completed when sin will be removed, when pain and heartache will be no longer, when we'll be made like Christ. Once again, not yet experienced, but a benefit nonetheless. And one of the reasons why it's a benefit to us is because of that word hope. That word hope does not mean what you think it means. Sometimes words are translated in Scripture and we have and they kind of lose their meaning over time. This is one of those. We're not talking about, oh, I hope that'll happen like when you go and uh, play the numbers at the lottery. You know? Man, I hope hope I'm going to win that money. That's not what this is talking about. It's not wishful thinking. This word hope carries with it an emotion of longing which says, I can't wait for this to happen like kids waiting for Christmas. But it also carries with it the idea of confidence, which says, I know this will happen. Longing and confidence, that's what's what's behind that word hope. And here's what Paul's getting at here. This is what he's saying. That hope of glory should be something we long for, something we look forward to, and something we are confident in. Something we know will happen. Not something that might be, but what will be. Listen, when we as believers get to the point where we long for and look forward to and are confident in that hope of glory, you know what it does for us? It enables us to endure any and everything this world may throw at us with an unshakable faith. Listen to this and let this just wash over you like water. No matter what life throws at you, nothing can take away what will be. Let that serve to strengthen you. Let that serve to encourage you. Listen to Paul's words here. He says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, meaning they're short-lived, they're fleeting, they're not going to be around long. But the things that are unseen are eternal. When comparing his current afflictions to what awaited him. When when Paul compared his current trials, which are short-lived, to his future hope of glory, which is eternal, Paul says there is no comparison. 
Nothing this life, those of you believers, can touch the hope that you have in Christ. How about that? Though this life is not easy for us as believers, and, and it's not, don't believe anyone who tells you that it is. The good news is this, no matter how difficult life gets, nothing can rob us of what awaits us. Nothing can rob us of what will be. Nothing can take away our future hope of glory. I've shared this story with you before, but I want to share it again because it's a great story and it really gets at what Paul is saying here. Uh, my brother goes to the Village Church in Dallas, and I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with that church. Some of you are. Uh, Matt Chandler is the pastor there. And this church has just been used in an incredible way by God to reach many unchurched people and families in the Dallas area. And, uh, and recently, in the past couple of years, this church has been through tough times. And and uh, their, their pastor, who is now cancer-free, I want to share with you before we show this clip. Um, um, he is now cancer-free, which is an answer to prayer. But this happened a couple of years ago, right after he found out. And this clip, is, it, it explains itself. I'll let you watch this. Um, hi, I'm Matt Chandler. I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here at the Village Church. Um, if you haven't heard, it's been uh, quite the weekend, uh, really quite the week for us. Uh, on Thanksgiving morning, uh, I had a seizure and woke up in the hospital. Uh, they did some scans and they found a, a tumor on my right frontal lobe. Um, it's about uh, two inches um, by one inch, so two inches in diameter, about one inch deep. Um, and on Friday, really by the time you watch this, uh, they're going to go in and, and cut it out. There's this part of me that's so grateful that the Lord counted me worthy for this. And there's this part of me that goes, okay, because now in an area where it's not a big win, I get to show that he's enough. And I get to praise him and exalt him and, and make much of him in this. Because I've got to make much of him in this. Now he, he's counted me worthy to, to point to him in this. Um, and so know that, man, we... We've cried our tears at my house, and man, I've held my children, and I've kissed them, and I've kissed my wife, and what I, what I would love is to be a 70-year-old man drinking coffee. I would love to walk my daughter down the aisle. I would love to see um, my boy turn into the athlete I never was. I mean, I would love to, I would love to do all of that, um, but none of those things is better than him. None of those things, and I'm saying that now. I'm saying that right now, not as the guy who has everything and has nothing in front of him that he could lose, but I'm telling you that now. Wow. What a perspective. No matter how difficult life gets, it cannot rob us of what will be. Maybe you're here this morning not made Christ the Lord of your life, but you're thinking to yourself this morning, you know what? I like the sound of those benefits. I pray today would be the day of your salvation. These benefits can be enjoyed by you if you would turn from your sins and trust in Christ alone for your salvation.
Let me remind you of one thing. Let me assure you of one thing here before I end. There is no better news than this right here. No better news than this right here. No better offer that could be made to you with better benefits to be enjoyed than those that come from a right standing with God. No one but Christ can offer peace with God. No one but Christ can offer access to Him. And no one but Christ can promise, give us a promise of a life spent with Him for all eternity. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you right now just... We just stand in awe of you, God. Father, for the fact that, that you not only have given us what we, not given us what we do deserve, but you have also given us what we don't deserve. Not only made us right with you, you've forgiven us of sins, but you've given us these wonderful benefits. Peace with you, access to you, and the hope of a life spent for all eternity with you. God, you are, you are awesome. Father, I pray that as we think about these benefits this week, Father, we would let your word just wash over us and determine the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we live. Father, I pray that we would be taking advantage of this wonderful gift that we have, that, that we can go to you at any time and spend time with you. Father, if there's anybody going through difficulty this morning, trials that we may not know about, I know that some are. Father, I pray that you would help them to endure through this and encourage them with the fact that nothing this life throws at us can rob us of what will be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand in closing.